lights, camera, action. Welcome to Mixtake, a world outspoken podcast. As film, television, and entertainment are influenced by the mixing of cultures and heritages in the United States, we are here to discuss, celebrate, and represent. I'm Danielle Isaiah. And I am Robert Rivera. In this episode, we are discussing DC Comics. In fact, well, actually, we're just going to zero in on one film, Blue Beetle. Yeah. And we, we, decided this is this topic is way too heavy donnie and i couldn't handle it on, on our own so we brought in the big guns <laughs> what what the og <laughs> of world outspoken <laughs> the, OG. the man himself ricky padilla welcome y'all are gonna get us canceled oh. or arrested i don't know what's happening here <laughs> one or the other glad to be here glad to finally make it to mixed take i feel like it's uh it's a privilege it, uh, I, I didn't get invited on right away. I had a couple seasons in, so <laughs> it's, been well, told, it's been a long time. It's been you wanted us coming. to learn how to fly. You said on our own before. Oh, right. You know, you, you were soaring with us. Oh, y'all, y'all giving me too much credit. I sound so, like a wise sage there. <laughs> well, well, yes. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us, and I'm excited because we are talking all things Blue Beetle. This is the first all Latino cast superhero film. So it makes sense that, again, we would bring bring in the big guns for this discussion. So, Ricky, can you give us your quick take on the Blue Beetle film? I can, but specifically for this segment, I kept this a secret. I didn't tell you. I have some quick takes on previous mixed take conversations. Can, Ooh, I, okay. can I rattle them off? Yes. I promise, I promise they'll be short. Okay. He's gonna Number one. Yeah. Number one. Affleck is sloppy. <laughs> Thank you. Donnie right. is right. He's 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 too sloppy to be Batman. It's weird. Yes, it's, agree. No, that's that's on purpose. But go ahead. <laughs> so look, he's the only Batman who has a meme of him like smoking a cigarette in desperate exhaustion. Too sloppy. Yes, too sloppy. Agreed. Take number two. Mexican women as Amazons. Can't argue against it. It's a brilliant connection. Let's do it. Let's go. So this whole idea that y'all had the hair. And I died laughing, Donnie. Perfect description. <laughs> Mexican women are Amazons. It is what it is. Let, let's go. Donnie, your take about Ant-Man, though? <laughs> it's a bad take. It's a bad take. Robert, Robert is right. It's one of the best MCU movies. The first Ant-Man is very good. I like that it sets up the quantum realm. Outside of that, I'll leave it. No, I'll you know, I'll, I'm going to go the other way. I hate that it sets up the quantum realm. I like Why? just the heist movie. I don't yes. like the quantum realm. I hate the quantum realm. Oh, the Ant-Man and the Wasp, the second one? Well, or... like I, I like I like Paul Rudd, Michael Pena, um, Evangeline Lilly, all, all the cast, Michael Douglas. It's a great cast. Mm -hmm. When it starts getting into the quantum realm stuff, it gets a little bit, to me, unintelligible yeah it goes bonkers for sure it like no, spins no. out of control but it's a very good cast he's great as ant-man he i mean he's, and in terms of mcu not in terms of marvel one of my favorite characters oh yeah. my word fame you were you threw out the f word favorite he's funny wow. he, he's good and he doesn't it 
it's the one that they're allowed to be funny with because who's going to take Ant-Man serious? Like it is what it is. I mean, this is that, cool. Yeah. R- Ricky and I, we, we, we're in a, a kind of a text chain where we talk about a lot of nerdy things. And I feel like I'm not really, I'm, I'm not perfectly on page with, with Ricky most of the time. So I'm, this is really, I found a common <laughs> ground. This is going to be our conversation. This is where we start every conversation, Ant-Man. And then we just see where it goes from there. No, 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 Rob, this should be alarming to you <laughs> because this is so rare. This is not okay. Rare agreement. All right, I got two left. Okay, two more, two more. Batman is the best. That Robert is correct about that, but it's mostly because of his rogues gallery. One hundred percent. Now uh, that and the city, Gotham City itself, is kind of a cool and mysterious place as as well. Fair and fair. uh, But but I agree, Batman himself. It's it's the whole pack. When I say Batman, I mean the brand. Yeah, that's fair. so you're talking Batman and Gotham and yeah. Catwoman I mean, and the, the, all the villains, the Joker and yeah, Batman is still all, the coolest. Everything that comes with but, Batman, or yeah, but if his villains were, uh, I don't General know, like Zad? if yeah, there was yeah. like a, if there was like a villain that was his, you know, the anti-Batman where he dresses up like Batman, whatever, kind of like what they do with Marvel a lot, uh, like a mirror image of him just in a red suit or something. I I would not like that, but I think his backstory is really intriguing and I think the city is amazing and yeah, the rogue. I mean, the Court of Owls alone, it's one of yeah, the coolest Court of things. Like, yes. Yeah, that there's that like this Illuminati. Yeah, Illuminati type underbelly. You've got the, the Falcons and the Maroni yeah. gangs. Yeah, it goes deep. Yeah. He I does was, he yeah. does need deep therapy though. Batman is a yes. troubled soul. <laughs> oh yes. Oh. Don't yeah. we all? Let's he's be toxic. honest. But uh, I, he, he's not a fascist, but he is toxic. He is toxic. Hey, good segue. I, I'm gonna give my last one since he gave okay. us a good segue. Y'all describing America Chavez's power as the ability to cross borders yeah. like an immigrant. That was very astute but very funny. I laughed so hard. This is not a take. This is just commending that observation because that I would Donnie. have never interpreted that way, but very good. No, that was, was Donnie. She's, she's the brains behind that that one. I mean, it's my Mexican heritage, bro. I was like, what? <laughs> why, why is her thing crossing right. borders? That's so exactly. messed up. That is wrong. Yeah, that was, that was really good. I, I mean, fair observation. I mean, that's the kind of critical eye that we should be looking at these movies with, especially as they as we talk about representation and how these things reflect our world. So anyway, my quick take, speaking of representation, my quick take about Blue Beetle is that sometimes we really can trust our friends to represent our cultures well. A Puerto Rican here telling a story about a Mexican hero, that's amazing. Well said, I love it. I love the summation of it. And I 100% agree, mostly because I think for most immigrant journeys or you know families that your parents are from somewhere else and they move you to another country the man the journey is so similar the finding who you are and especially for latinos we all get the close family ties i think many other cultures could say the same uh african americans and with african cultures and um asians i just watched a film. I'll look up the name right now, but um, a, oh, the farewell on Netflix. Yeah, mm-hmm. great movie. And in it, they they discuss these exact um, 
the themes of what it means to, you know, cause uh, there's a, a one family that they were in China, they moved to America yep. and the family they're back in China and the family is discussing whether or not this family who moved to America is still Chinese and the family who moved, they're like, well, no, we're American. Our passports are American. We're so we're from, we're American now. And they're like, you're never not Chinese. Like what in the world? You know, the language that you speak, the food that you cook, how you interact even with your family. And so that, you know, again, this is a very, I don't know, common, maybe there's some common themes here that cross cultures and, um, races and, and all that good stuff. Nice. Was that your quick take? That's my long take. You want my quick okay. one? Just kidding. <laughs> Rob, give us your quick take. My quick take, I think is, um, it took a long time for us to get a, an all Latino, uh, super superhero film. But now that it's finally here, it's, I am happy to see that it represents, um, the Latino, heritage or uh, experience in a positive way. I uh, I'll unpack that a little bit more later, but yeah. Yeah, I love it. So we'll talk more as the show goes on, but for now, let's press press rewind on this episode of Mixtape. All right. Well, let's let's actually kind of um, go back in time here. Blue Beetle is a character that um, I don't know if, if you have any history with. And so I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw it out there again to to Ricky. Ricky, do you have any prior connection or any history with Blue Beetle? If so, what what's your introduction to this character? Yeah, he's a relatively new character to well, Jaime is a relatively new character to the DC Comics. Um, so I knew about Blue Beetle when he was introduced in the comics, but I'm not an avid comic reader, so I hadn't read it. My my first real interaction with Jaime as Blue Beetle came through Young Justice, the animated uh, television series that I think people can watch on Netflix and uh, Max and other places. But that was my first like real kind of exposure to Jaime as Blue Beetle, which is awesome, by the way. He's fantastic in that show. Yeah. How about you, Donnie? Are you, are you, were you familiar with Blue Beetle? Is this kind of your introduction? or? Man, this is my introduction. I was watching an interview with uh, Cholo Mariduena, who is the lead um, in this film. And he was talking about how his mom read the comic books. And so he was very familiar with, or he was somewhat familiar with the character. Uh, but, you know, he kind of was more familiar with the character because of her. And I thought, man, what a cool mom. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, wanna, I like that's goals. I want to be like her when I grow up. So I'm like, man, I, you know, I wish I had grown up on the comics and, you know, like, you know, really delved it, had, have already um, become very familiar with the character, but this was my, my first, uh, interaction with Blue Beetle. And I, I guess I'm giving a quick take here, but absolutely loved everything I saw. How about you, Rob? First, yeah, you this, know, this first, this is not my first, um, I, he, he kind of danced around in the background of my life. I, as I watched shows, I, I don't know if he popped up in the justice justice league or it was actually the super friends show back in, the early eighties when I was watching that. Um, so I, I had seen him around. He, he is definitely in the comic book, the death of Superman, where I believe he dies. However, if I'm, 
it that that might be the Ted Cord iteration of Blue Beetle. But just the same, Ricky, I had I watched a little bit of Young Justice where Jaime pops up. And so I got a little familiar with him there. And yes, it is a really great iteration of him. Reminded me a lot of Spidey. And um, mm -hmm. so it was, it was cool to see him on the big screen. But all that said, this is my proper introduction to the character. I love yeah. it. So we're all starting off from kind of the same place. This is really our introduction. I, I would imagine like most moviegoers who went to see this, this was likely their, their first introduction. So that's cool. All right. Well, let's channel our inner scarabs and press play on this episode. In both box office and popular opinion, Marvel Comics has exceeded the success and popularity that DC has had on the silver screen. Yet, despite Marvel's progressive approach and diverse reach, it was DC that was first to release a female-led superhero film in Wonder Woman. Once again... 15 years after the inception of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm not trying to make this Marvel versus DC, but let's just be real. DC does something like that again as they release the first Latino-led uh, superhero film. And before we go too deep into this film, let's answer this question. What were the best and worst parts of Blue Beetle? Before we start trying to break this down too much, let's, let's kind of say, what do, what do we like about this film or some things that, that didn't work for us? Um, so I'll chime, in, I'll, I'll chime in here and I'll, I'll just kick it off with the worst thing. And then you guys can agree or disagree with me in the beginning of the film, maybe like the first 30 minutes, I kind of got, if you guys have seen spy kids, like kind of spy kids vibes where it, you know, it was just like, where is this going? Am I convinced that, you know, um, these people are the roles that they're playing. Um, you know, was it a, a little too silly sometimes? Or even there's a, a, a scene where um, uh, Blue Beetle and his sister, they're talking on the roof. And it just seemed like so much like a set. Kind of like um, if we hearken back to Black Panther, there were certain scenes in the beginning of the film that was like, oh, that's not a jungle. That's a set where, you know, there's like cars exploding, they're in Wakanda and, and you're like, that is not, or, you know, so it's, so some of it was just, a, you know, that, I think that was the worst part that it took so long for me to be like, oh, okay, I really am digging this family and these actors and I didn't, I stopped getting the Spy, kid, spy Kids vibes. Did you guys get nice. that at all? I got you the Spy that? Kids vibes in the sense that it was very, uh, like cheeky the first few first few like minutes it's like sort of it's comical and not the comic sense right like it's got this sort of <laughs> kind of happy-go-lucky sort of way of going yeah like they drop him off at work and it's like the whole family <laughs> and it's like i mean i was like we're family oriented but like that you know it was just <laughs> a little like i don't think that would actually you know I, I like yeah. the, you know, okay, they're like really hyping this or blowing it out of the water. But I was just like, oh, it's a little, I don't know. Yeah, yeah it, so it borders on stereotyping in that sense. Yeah, and yeah. It can. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'll i say this. Donnie started us on the, on the pessimistic route, starting bad and going good, I guess. Mm -hmm. but, but I'll talk about what works, and then I'll tell you about the experience I had with it. Because we talked earlier about... Um, our first introductions to the character Blue Beetle. 
what's interesting is that this movie has a an Easter egg. It comes up a couple times actually of the first Beatle hero that Latinos would recognize, and it's mm. a Chapulín Colorado. He's yes. in the the truck is named after him. Uh, there's a couple. I think he comes up on the TV a few times in the background. You can see him. You know the famous phrase, right? No contaban con mi astucia, right? They didn't count for me to be this smart. Um, is yeah. this like working man's like slogan? Uh, I really love that they acknowledged the the existence of a Chapulín Colorado. I appreciated that they brought him right into the world, right, and connected the two stories that way. What's interesting though is this is personal experience. I recognize that this won't be every everybody. In fact, the director of the movie. Um, Angel Manuel Soto, uh, his descriptions of why they brought in a Chapulín Colorado would, would demonstrate that he had something of a different experience to me. But I know El Chapulín Colorado as a Mexican, is a Mexican actor, it's a Mexican story. It was exported from Mexico to the rest of Latin America, um, very popular in all of Latin America. But I, I knew it as a Mexican mm -hmm. product in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so this is a strength of the movie, and yet I felt a little bit different about it. Was, you know, instead of feeling like, oh, this is like in the heights, it's this is my people, this is my world, I totally understand this, this is this is it. I'm being represented. I actually felt like, oh, that's awesome. They're representing uh, Jaime and a Mexican family in a Mexican city with the Mexican kind of uh, symbolism all over the place. Totally cool. And I'm really glad for that. I think. The fact that Angel Soto was able to do that and do that so well is really beautiful. And I think sometimes, especially among Latinos, we don't do a good enough job of being specific. We sort of represent pan-Latin in some ways. Mm. And this movie did a good job of being specific in that way, such that even among us, we can feel some of those differences. You know, for people who are Guatemalan, Salvadorian, Costa Rican, in both the music and film industry, their only options tend to be either Mexicans or Puerto Ricans is what often gets represented. And so that level of specificity, I, I think, invites more specificity, and that can be really good in the future. Yeah, it's it's always very interesting to me how Latinos can get bunched up. You know, it's just like y'all. And, you know, so like if I ever I'm like, oh, you know, I don't really like spicy food. People will be like, well, you're Mexican. But I'm like, well, I'm also Puerto Rican, and oh, Puerto Ricans, Puerto Ricans twist. don't do spicy. <laughs> like, Puerto Ricans don't do spicy, and they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, we don't do spicy. You know, it's like plantains and rice, and you know. You may speak for yourself. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, you know, you can't just like lump every, you know, like it's all, you know, they all just eat rice and beans. It's like, no, there's there are differences, and I actually really liked that. Ignacio or Carapax, um, his Guatemalan background was brought into the film as well. And then um, Jenny, who is the love interest, um, but also a powerhouse on her own in the film, which I really enjoyed, was Brazilian. And that was also um, kind of overt. So I really enjoyed, yes, it was the, the dominant um, family and, and the, the main character is Mexican. And that's represented in the music and their love for each other and you know the food they ate you know he gets there and he's like tacos i need tacos you know um so it, it was beautiful but also again to kind of see a celebration of latin other um other countries as well it was pretty cool 
were you also trying to figure out the whole movie? Like how did you say her name is Jenny? I, I forget the, uh... yeah. Jenny cord. Oh, Jenny. Cord. Oh, okay. In real life. How, or that was her. No, in, uh, in the movie, in the movie, how she was, um, how she was Brazilian. I think they, didn't they acknowledge that in the movie? They say it at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So maybe that, I got that distracted me for a while. I was like, Oh, what's yeah. Maybe I made, did I make that up? I don't know if they say it in the okay. films or if, yeah. or if I know that from real life. And yeah, just... me too. All, All right. I know is I agree with you that I was distracted because her name was Jenny Cord, but I knew right. she was a Brazilian actress and they were sort of leaning into her expression of Latinidad. And so right. it was distracting whether they said yeah. it or not. So I was trying to figure out like, okay, is there a backstory? They didn't give you one. That's, that's totally fine. They didn't need to. I'm just saying uh, what I thought. Um, well, I mean, she's a Latina no matter what, because her dad is the original Blue Beetle. And Blue Beetle is always a Latina. Right. Right? Well, yeah, he's no, one of the Blue Beetles. He's one, Jaime is the one of the Blue Beetles who's Latino, but the other Blue Beetles are not Latinos. Really? See, yeah, Ted Court, Ted Court was not. Yeah, Ted Court is a and white And they may have been a, was there a Blue Beetle before him too? Uh-huh. There was. One. It yeah. was. Uh, then there um, have been three. Three, that's what I thought. So there so. could be more. Very cool. Okay. Well, fair enough. I, I think what, what I'm going to say about the movie is um, let me start with the negative. Um, I, d- I was getting some of those vibes. I'd, I've never seen Spy Kids, but I did get some of the vibes of like, is this for kids? It felt mm. kid ish. Uh, George Lopez early on, especially, kind of gave me those vibes. Like, I'm trying to imagine the scene where Jaime is, is, um, that the symbi- the the scarab or uh, I forget if it has another name um, is ripping through like kind of his body and and t- kind of transforming him. Their reaction uh, didn't feel authentic in that moment. Like um, yeah. I-, I don't understand how 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 they were not completely traumatized by that moment. Mm-hmm. And George Lopez screaming at the top of his lungs. It's funny, mm-hmm. but it felt it felt a little camp. I will say though, as the movie went on, uh, he actually grew on me a lot and and became a very endearing character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a he. It wasn't just him. I think Susan Sarandon overacted in this movie as well. I know she's a good actress, but I didn't I didn't feel she didn't sell it to me like she's the bad, you know, the big bad agree. of this movie. Hundred yeah. uh, percent agree. Right, and it's sad because I've seen her like shine, and this is this was not the role for her. Um, yeah, her sidekick, however, uh, Carapax, he was that, cool. Whoa, that dude, I'm like, yup, I that's believable. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he, was, he, he was scary. Yeah, he was scary. What I loved about this movie are the themes that came out of it. Mm. Um, it sets up, it shows the plight of the immigrants struggling, and even Jaime graduating, and the realization that this isn't a free ticket to a great career and here comes generational wealth no Mm. he's cleaning pools and yeah um and and looking out while while his sister's taking a dump um (laughs) that she (laughs) talked about for a little too long um in the movie um but she she says something interesting she says we're invisible to people like that talking about the chords it's like our superpower and it's it is interesting because in one sense that's that is true. Like there doesn't seem to be a place for the migrant person. It's kind of like, oh, 
they're inconveniencing. Let me let me get them out of the way. Either that or the focus becomes just a negative one. Like, oh, they're a nuisance. They're in our way. They're blocking our police stations. They're taking our jobs or whatever. A couple of other things that I just want to kind of get this all out, like the things that I did like. Um, I thought it was hilarious. The guy that uh, Susan Sarandon kept calling Sanchez. Oh yeah. Like, no, <laughs> my name's Jose Francisco Morales Rivera de la Cruz. Him, him going um, for multiple last names was the realest, <laughs> the realest Latino thing ever. There's like multiple last names. It was fantastic. Um, let me go back to something that I liked, but I don't like how it was portrayed. Was when Abuela came out with that giant like sci-fi gun. Oh yeah. I the like gun. She, yeah, I like that she had the backstory, and I want to know more about about her. Yeah, that's that moment, though, that gun's got to be so heavy. And and she's and she's aged like it was just silly. It was funny, <laughs> but it it just it just didn't hit right for me. I you know loved, it, yeah. it, it did the exact opposite for me. It hit so hard that I was <laughs> like, yo, I love that because oftentimes, especially in American culture, um, we're, we're all about value and output. So what you contribute is your worth. And so as you get older, if you're contributing less, you're worth less. And so how, you know, often we look at our elders is, ah, you're just taking up space. But then Nana comes on the scene and she's, you know, got her experience and she's got her revolutionary past and she's got her, I know how to work this gun. And she lets her hair, like she's ready for war, even with her hair. She, you know, so for me, it hit so hard. I was like, man, I love it. I love the value that they're placing on our, um, our moms and our our grandparents, great grandparents. Me, Me too. I like that. Just that scene was was a little bit wild, I, and for like, me, it, it all came together in that scene. That's was that's if she had a rifle or something in her in her hand, or shotgun or something, I would have been like, okay, cool. No, to me, the um, most profound grandma moment was when she tells his sister, "Ahora no es tiempo de llorar. Now's not the time to cry." And they they go on their oh active goodness. resilience or resistance, and once yeah. they've won, then she says, "Ahora es tiempo de llorar." Right, like. That sort of that was, wisdom sharing was quite powerful. That was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And then they yeah. pulled in Jenny. Yep. Yeah. No, that was well done, uh, Robert. You had one more thing. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, yeah. You, no, no. Just that. and this is and this is just really superficial. I am so happy Cypress Hill was weaved into this. <laughs> was weaved into this movie. We ain't going out like that. Come on, man. I got hype. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about music and other kind of nods. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, quite a few of the scenes were recorded in Puerto Rico, some of them in San Juan. um, And I thought that was awesome to be able to see Puerto Rico. In that way, the movie had this sort of pan Latino thing where they're like Puerto Rican scenes, but this is sort of a more Mexi Cali sort of looking neighborhood that they're in. And I mean, they did a good job of sort of mixing in and folding in together several expressions, but I did love seeing. Puerto Rico clear and visible in, in this film. That was really cool. Yeah. I liked that essentially they're giving Palmer's its own vibe. So, you know, like, uh, you know, past directors yeah. with Batman and giving Gotham a vibe and giving Metropolis a vibe. Yeah. Like it was very cool to see Angel Manuel Soto give Palmer's a vibe and 
have that Caribbean flair to it. Really cool. Being from Florida, it did feel like he gave it Miami's vibe, but but he did give it a vibe. Yeah. It's true. It yeah. is yeah. a distinct city compared to Gotham and Metropolis. I mean, th those things are cool. Well, what about what about thematically? I know I, I brought some out already, but are there any themes or ideas that transcend this movie? I think another one, uh, in addition to what you've already mentioned, uh, were microaggressions. So, you know, they're, they're small things, but what's interesting is uh, we've seen them in this film and we actually, in our um, episode on A Million Miles Away, we saw microaggressions in that film as well. And I thought it was interesting for both films that it was important to weave those concepts in. They're slight. In this film, it is when Jaime goes to see Jenny Cord for a job. And she wa he walks up to um, the receptionist and she looks at him and she's like, oh, deliveries are downstairs. And he's like, right. oh, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm not here for a, a delivery, you know, whatever. And uh, and then yep. he's like, well, my name is Jaime. And she's like, OK, Jamie, you can sit over there. OK, OK, wait, time out, time out. Uh -huh. That scene makes no sense. Why did she call him Jamie? Because it's the I don't know, um, um, the English but, pronunciation that, of the name. Yes. I would, I'll give you that if she was reading it. He clearly said, oh, yeah. It. It's like, did she purposely do that to him just as a disrespect? Like, she didn't make yeah, the, the way it's like, set up, it's not a microaggression. It's just a straight up act of racism, right? Like, she just intentionally. Right, because, yeah, because had he, like, had he filled out an application or something, she was pulling it up and reading it, and, and he had to keep correcting her. That would have been one thing, and I think that's the way it should have been played. But for him to say, yeah, hi, I'm Jaime. Okay, Jamie. I was like, why Why did you say Jamie after he, he just said Jaime? This is audio. You know, this is not um, – yeah, she's not She's not seeing any visual yeah. of his name. Yeah. She so comes I across thought, as petty. Yeah. Yeah, petty. But I don't know. But I think that – I think it's supposed to be played the way that Donnie is saying. Mm-hmm. But – it doesn't make any sense. That I forgot about that. That caught me off guard, though, in the movie. Well, okay. So when I say my last name, it's Alicia. But almost like almost always, people will repeat it back to me, Alicia. And I'm like, that's clearly not what I said. Yeah. <laughs> like they're they're all syllables that we use in the English language. Like there's no enunciation of my last name. That's like, oh, that's not normal. Ali Saya, like Muhammad Ali, and like you say a phrase, like Ali so you, Saya. You're, so like, so you're, you're saying if they if they've never seen your name at all, just by you just saying it, they'll repeat yeah, it back. They'll repeat it back in the like in English, like it, they they just make the. But again, I I don't know that it's overt. It's not like they're trying to come at me and be would, racist. They're just, it would be like Ricky though saying, yeah, Padilla. And they're like, okay, Padilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That it's would be, idea. you see, but that would be like, to me, there's something intentional there because if they know Spanish that well to know that he's, he's using the a, then they're, they're flipping it back on purpose. It is intentional, but I don't think it's meant to be like I'm coming at you. You know what I mean? Like it's like if you're on the phone and you're like, I don't, you know, Jose it's certainly is, devaluing the name, the importance of a name, right? It's yes. certainly devaluing I, it in that sense. I think, I think Sarandon's character calling that guy, Dr. Sanchez all the time, because in her head, 
that's what she remembers him as for some reason mm-hmm. fits that a little bit more. You know, she doesn't know his real name and she's just like Sanchez. I don't, whatever your name is. That's another good microaggression. I don't even know if it's microaggression or just straight out racism. I, you know, whatever it is, but these instances like that, yeah. that, you know, come up throughout the film. And again, not just this film, but we see it in other films as well. And I was mm-hmm. just like, I, I, I appreciated that, that, that was important for the director to and the writer of the film to to include in this. I'll say thematically, I, I sort of tipped my hand up to this earlier. You know, I talked about to me the most profound moments with Abuela were the times where she was speaking to the sister. But mm. there's also the moment right in the middle of the movie, kind of in the climax of it, where Jaime has to re-encounter his dad in, you know, some other dimension or sort of death place right but one of the things that i love about this blue beetle character at least portrayed as it portrayed in the film it's not quite that way in the comics i don't believe but in the film one thing that angel soto did as a director which i think was a good choice was he portrayed a hero that was shaped and formed by wider familial connections as opposed to a hero shaped and formed by ruptures in familial connections, right? Batman loses his parents, Spider-Man loses Mm. Uncle Ben, right? Like, unlike that, this Latino character is Mm. profoundly shaped by Abuela, by his tío, by his dad, right? Like his sister, all of these connections shape this Blue Beetle, make this Blue Beetle tick, right? Um, Ah, I I like that. I think I think there's something very um I think it displays something about how Latinidad takes on the hero persona or character and how the and how they shape each other, right? How Latinidad would shape a hero and how a hero would shape shape or be formed in Latinidad. That to me is the dynamic there that I think was really quite clever and and had to be a choice from Angel Soto that you would have you wouldn't otherwise do because again, I don't think in the comics that's true. I think in the comics, Jaime is kind of alienated from his family. He's been mm-hmm. kind of a rebel kid, and he's ending up in kind of delinquent centers. And it, and they didn't do that in this film. They made him a good family boy, which is mm-hmm. different. And if you know the character from comics, can maybe be uncomfortable. But I think in doing that, something Robert said earlier was it portrayed Latinidad in a really important, beautiful light, and it demonstrated what Latinos would have to give to a hero if we were to shape him or her. Here is one thing that Jaime's dad says in the film. We're on a journey. What's important is that we go on this journey together. Things don't last. La familia, that lasts forever. They last. And I I love that, you know, like you said, it's this wisdom that's being passed down and it's the familial knitness, tightness that um, is woven throughout the film and is the thing that is the kind of the success point. And I, and I also love that, um, oh man, even, you know, the, the conversation that he has with his dad as he's, you know, in between, you know, worlds or whatever, uh, again, was just a beautiful, um, I don't know. It, it was beautiful to, to see him interact and I guess kind of be reminded of of some, you know, I don't know, important things from from his dad. Like as we go, as we journey through life, like my dad passed last year and there's still things that 
I think of, you know, what he told me all the time and I'm putting into practice in my life. So even when people pass on, it's not like the lessons that they taught us or are still teaching us are gone. Like, you know, it's a really beautiful thing to, I don't know, press into your family and be strengthened by those relationships. That's, that's good, Donnie. And this is, this is the person who, um, you guys do like family vacations, family outings. Like I feel like every other month I see like 14 deep going to go see a movie. <laughs> yeah. You're out in a, some resort. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, that's one of the things that I love as well. I, it reminds me a little bit of Black Panther. And I know that the director was asked specifically, like, does he hope that this can have an impact like a Black Panther? Obviously, I don't think it had that cultural impact and i'm not fully sure why um all, all the reasons there however they are similar in the sense that black panther was well he his family his family was was, was close as well in his culture you know they, they were kind of the ones that were interwoven worse here it's his family it's um Jaime's family unit and i appreciated that very much because it does resonate to me like um like my family gets together pretty frequently and and we we share a meal we we spend time and it's several generations it's it's uh my grandmother my mother you know it's me my kids um and so we have all these generations in, in in one area uh in one room just kind of you know experiencing life together and i and i love that we saw that portrayed on on the big screen even though it got wild where they didn't just speak wisdom they they actually fought together so it wasn't just blue beetle on his own he's it's he's gonna bring the whole posse you know to to fight his battles um one of the things that the that the director said in making this movie he said we can finally be heroes of our stories and not villains of their stories uh -huh. and uh that's another thing that i like when we talk about representation and why it's so powerful because i know once we start talking about these topics some people kind of roll their eyes and say oh can we just enjoy a movie for what it is or or whatever? But I think the power is, yeah, we watch this movie and we see not just our, you know, our culture, the broader, you know, Latinidad um, represented on the screen, but as heroes. And, um, and as Ricky already pointed out, you know, Jaime is not a troubled kid in this story. He's, he's a, he's a shaped by his family and he continues to lean on them for, for direction and insight. Um, so, those are some of the things that, that stuck out to me. I know I'm just kind of echoing what you guys have already said, but um, those things. One quick thing, Robert, from what you've mentioned, yeah. you know, one thing that has struck me as odd in the film, and I, I, there sure. might be good reasons for why they did this, but I felt like the neighborhood only getting involved at the very end of the film to help rebuild the house, mm. that, that didn't really mm. resonate with me or ring true to me in terms of how a Latino neighborhood would respond. There, again, there might be good reasons for why they frame the story that way. Maybe because it has that immigration component, they were trying to show the neighborhood to be mm -hmm. scared of like coming out and sort of being, you know, full in the face of police or that kind of thing. You know, there, again, there might be good reasons to explain that setup, but it did strike me as odd that a house is like burnt down, that people are like mm -hmm. being accosted and the neighborhood. Cause we're 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 a neighborhood kind of people. Like people sit right. on the porch. Everyone's the gonna time, flood right? the streets. Right. Everyone's gonna flood the streets. It just didn't strike me as exactly how our neighborhoods work, even if there might be good reasons for why they did that. 
I will say there's probably, there's one fight scene at the house, right? The big one with the guns. I mean, and uh, to be fair, if you're brown and you hear gunfire, you just hit the deck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> nobody is like, I'm going to get my artillery and start, you know, rocket launching. <laughs> like, we're like, hit the deck, make sure everybody's good, get the kids, get the dogs. Man. Like, all right. And then afterwards, that's when we, you know, kind of go out. So I, I see, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily mind how they, how, how it played out in the film, especially because the, the people that were uh, attacking the house were like full tactical gear. They got helicopters and, you know what I mean? Like futuristic uh, military issued government, you know? So I'm like, ah, I, I got my little 22 over here. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. what are they going to do? So I, I didn't mind it too much, but I think this... Oh, go ahead, Rob. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I was. you're talking about the house, the battle at the house. I was getting... I was getting so frustrated and anxious as that house was getting torn up. I was like, <laughs> how much is it going to cost to replace it? So it was kind of... I was kind of relieved when it burned down. Yes, absolutely. I, I think this is a time for us to take a look into the future as we press fast forward on this episode of Mixed Take. With the box office struggles that Blue Beetle has had, do you think we will see more Latino superhero films from either DC or Marvel or maybe somewhere else? Um, is a film like this important or is it more important to tell maybe smaller stories? What do you all think? You know, it's kind of interesting. I think about this in relation to the field of work that I'm in. Obviously, World Outspoken is creating educational resources and content for people dealing with cultural change, but primarily people in, within the Christian faith. And when I think about the ways that Latino people have have worked through things like the field of theology, which is what I what I primarily stay in, it's interesting because the black community has done things like create HBCUs, right? Mm -hmm. Historically black colleges and universities, their own institutions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, La La Latine folk have made a different choice. I don't think it's necessarily a bad choice. It's just a different choice of having our folks trained and integrated within a kind of larger system, right? So we've got Latine theologians all over the U.S., significant theologians, people like Elizabeth Glenna Frazier on the board of World Outspoken, right? She's only ever taught in major universities, that kind of thing. And then she's made in intentional, beautiful choices to commit to neighborhoods like the one that Jaime and his family live in, in terms of supporting them with educational resources. So I say all that to say, uh, we haven't been the kind of people who create these like big, you know, this is an all Latino kind of institutional thing, right? And sometimes I wonder if that, when it comes to the popular media world, if that's part of the reason there might be these kinds of struggles with, oh, here's the Latino movie for the Latinos. We don't really yeah. kind of operate that way. But if you have a movie that's a story with all kinds of people or just a main story that happens to have a Latino lead, I think we'll show up, you know what I mean? Because that kind of integrated lifestyle or integrated world seems to be the choices we've made. I could be wrong about that. Happy to be hmm. corrected on that. But I have been thinking a lot about those different kinds of choices that we've made. Uh, some of them might be worth critiquing as it might reflect the kind of assimilation. But otherwise, it might, it might reflect just a different posture in terms of how we present ourselves in the world. 
anyways, long-winded answer to say, I am. I hope they make more movies about Blue Beetle. I hope they make more Latin Latina stories, at, whether they be superhero films or otherwise. I imagine that what will end up happening, we're such a big community that we'll find things like the Mandalorian being Latino. We'll mm -hmm. find things like you know main characters. Not I know that the Mandalorian himself is not, but the actor. I mean, right? Mm -hmm. uh, all I'd say I think we'll find us, ourselves integrated into the world because there's so many of us and we're talented people. That's mm -hmm. what I imagine will happen. Yeah, you know I um, I think of this just purely from from box off from uh, Hollywood or from the studio, and I hope they don't look at maybe box office numbers and come to a conclusion. Oh yeah. Well, we don't need to represent this group because this group isn't going to come out to see us anyway. Um, and the reason I get nervous is because of the Batgirl movie that was pulled, you know, that was filmed. It was ready to go. I think it was just supposed to be released on streaming and they decided for whatever reason, maybe it was terrible and maybe it would have just done more harm. I don't know. But the um, but the lead of that was Leslie Grace, who is, uh, you know, the the Latina actress from In the Heights, and pulling that, and then this not seeing um, the success. Although you, I think Ricky, it was you who brought it up to me, made made a point right that this movie was originally supposed to just be a streaming movie, so any box office is success regardless. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. I've looked it up again, and, and it seems yeah. that that was the original plan, that it was supposed to go straight to streaming as well. So, um, yeah, so those are the only things that that, that make me um, a little nervous, but I I think that these these films are, are really important, and um, perhaps, you know, even if this movie isn't – you know, this movie didn't succeed maybe the way that they wanted to. They'll look at movies like Into the Spider-Verse or something and realize that there is a real appetite for, um, you know, that movie kind of portraying uh, the Puerto Rican culture. And that movie, that's kind of a masterclass, right? That movie in, in how to do it and how to integrate it in a way that doesn't feel preachy. It just feels very normal. It's just a normal part of his life. And... um you walk away kind of feeling proud of the way, um, you know, Miles Morales is represented in that film. I, I'm going to echo Ricky, what you said in that we are too, um, too talented, um, too already kind of ingrained in Hollywood to be ignored, if you will. So for, the OG mixtape listeners who have been with us since season one, you'll remember our first episode with talking about um, Guillermo del Toro or our second episode discussing Alejandro Iñárritu, who um, is the director of films like The Revenant and Alfonso Cuaron amazing all you know all three are mexican directors and all three get to direct the films that they want to direct and tell the stories that are meaningful to them and i remember listening to um an interview with guillermo guillermo del toro and you know he's like i love monsters i love um what they bring to a story and so oftentimes in his films 
the monsters aren't really the villains. They're the misunderstood characters that are ostracized and villainized. And the monsters in his films are typically the fair-skinned, good-looking, light-eyed individuals with power and influence that are, you know, keeping their thumb on on those, you know, others. So I think they will continue to tell meaningful stories. I think they'll continue to cast really talented individuals. I think, um, you know, there's some amazing actors and actresses that actresses, wait, how do you say that? Actors and actresses. (laughs) Actors and actresses? No. You know what I'm saying? Amazing actors. <laughs> um, and we've talked about them in, you know, in, in season two. Um, but it, there's no way that, especially as we um, become a bigger part of the population at large in the United States, um, there's no way that our stories can't be told. It's just who is going to be telling them. So is it going to be Latino writers that are telling our stories or kind of going back to um, the director of this film? Okay. Are we going to be playing the villain in other people's films or are we going to be playing the hero in our films? Eva Longoria, right? She's, she, she's kind of like taking up directing. Yes. As a, yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, James Gunn, maybe that's, that's who you need to start uh, focusing on. Look in that direction. Yeah. Right now, right now the DC slate. I, I don't know how how diverse it looks in terms of of uh, you know I Latin America. I also wouldn't mind seeing uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's take on a superhero film. Oh, a musical, yeah. Not a musical, but That'd I would like sweet. to see his take. <laughs> a rapping <laughs> <necessarily>. Batman. <laughs> An Arrowver- uh, Green Arrow movie, but it's a musical. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but he's an he's an amazing creator. So I would like to see what he would do. With that would be wild. The, the only thing I would say as we look ahead to directors that are Latinos making Latinas making these films is that I want them to have the same kind of thoughtfulness as Angel Soto. Mm-hmm. He's a Puerto Rican guy who knew he was making a movie about a Mexican character mm-hmm. and made sure with his team to represent that mexicanness well without essentializing or anything like that but he did it well and so you you don't want latinos to you know to to you don't want us committing the same kind of habit of washing us out into this kind of pan latin we're all the same sort of thing as long as we're good about that i think it can be it can be done well and this director did a good job about that yeah don't 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 uh there, there there can be a temptation to pander to to certain audiences because you feel that I'm sure directors are feeling that weight on their shoulder. Like there's a lot of money being invested into this thing. I got to make it good. So you need to stick to your conviction and, and make something brilliant from there. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, post pandemic numbers, just filmmaking in general is down something like 20%. So they're not seeing the same turnout to the box office. Now it's not like, no films are being watched. Oppenheimer, Barbie, the Mario film, they all did really great. And they're not a part of a previous film franchise. So it's like, ah, you know, is it the new films that aren't a part of anything that are really the way to go, but are kind of rooted in history? They've got a following or a backing or something like that. You know, some movie makers are really, you know, they need to figure out, okay, 
what are people going to show up for and show out for? And I think that goes to y'all points of, all right, we need to be, take great care in the stories that we're trying to tell and then how we're publicizing them and all that good stuff. Like, all right, let's, what are people showing up for? How do we make films kind of, you know, along those lines, interesting, telling our stories, maybe rooted in something, but um, kind of a new fresh take on it. I want a Beetleverse. I'm down for a Beetleverse. I'm, I'm the Beetleverse. Uh, would you rather see this as a show or a movie? Because Ricky, you were saying this was initially supposed to be a show. Well, it was a movie initially supposed to go to streaming, just like the Bat, oh, uh, Bat oh, Woman yeah. or Batgirl movie, whatever it was. It, I, I believe that it was supposed to be the same idea. I see. So, would you? Uh, but would you rather see this a show? So, Rob, if you want to see more of Palmer's yeah. show or movie. I, I think a show could be pretty cool. I mean, you you have a lot of you have you you do have a lot of time in a show if especially if if they're kind of as long as it's it's not like a a, a Star Wars Disney show where one episode is forty minutes, the next one is twenty three, and the, I want like a consistent hour. If you if you give me that, um, and flesh out the community, that's the only way I want. I, I would I would want that show. Just dig dig deeper into the community, into the family, and and build around that. So. Yeah, we can get some backstory on Nana. Go back to her revolutionary we days. We could. See yeah, see a young Nana. That's it. Well, it is time to press pause and, like a sailor, reflect on points that have stuck out to us or takeaways. Ricky, what are your final thoughts on the on Blue Beetle? Hoy no es tiempo de llorar. It's not time to cry. Press into those pain points like Abuela said. Mm. What pain points? Whatever they might be for the audience, right? La, la lucha, as Mexicans would say. La brega, as Puerto Ricans would say. Mm. El tiempo de resolver, as Cubans would say, right? Whatever those are, right? I think the takeaway that I have about this film, about our conversation, is that these are the, that our posture should be that that grandma preaches in that film. Why do you think we run from pain and the struggle? Well, I don't think we do. I think we run into it. That's what grandma was saying, right? Not run away, but run, press into it, right? The the daughter, uh, the sister, I guess, daughter, sister, however you want to call it, based on the relationship in that film. Um, I mean, she's pretty broken, right? She's 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 hurting in that film, and I love what I love in terms of a thoughtful piece to it is Grandma doesn't say you're not allowed to cry. She mm. says let's let's finish this lucha, this struggle, yeah. and we will cry. We will cry. We'll have that moment, but let's let's press into this fight. Um, I, I think there's yeah. something beautiful. I think there's something profound to that. I think there's something healthy to that, right? To say we're we're gonna cry, but we got to press in as well, and our folks are really good about that. I love it. Yeah. Rob, yeah, how about you? That's oh, really sorry. Good. No, no, no. I no, that's that's a great that's a great final final thought. Um the movie like I said thematically is is beautiful and there are there are moments that that really grip me. Um it is kind of a little bit all over the place in terms of the tone of the movie. I wish it was a little bit a little bit more serious. Um, so I say this like Rudy says when he receives the truck at the very end of the movie. Um, and as I watch it again, 
help me like it. Although I think he was kind of that was his un, that was that was kind of him pretending like he didn't appreciate the truck and and um you know I thought it was a little bit strange when when Jaime was kind of like what do you say what do you say and he's like uh, all right and he walks over to him and he's like yeah come on guys help me like it but deep down we know he was saying thank you very much it's beautiful yeah it's a good line though help me like it in terms of these yeah. Spanish films yeah how about you Donnie? I think my final thoughts on this film, I loved so much. I loved the character development. Like you said, George Lopez, his character just grew on me more and more. I loved, um, I loved Nana. I um, really appreciated even Carapax and um, where, where he, yeah, his backstory. Uh, again, the character development in this one was, I thought was just very charming and well done. I'm excited for more. I am looking forward to exploring more Palmers. You know, like I want to see more Puerto Rico and, I, you know, I want to see more um, Latino cultures represented in future films. Like let's see some Ecuadorians and let's get some different foods like pupusas and tamales and, um, you know, arrojandule or, you know, whatever, like let's, let's, um, I don't know, highlight, highlight more and, and celebrate Latinidad. And with that, this is where we press stop. But have no fear, we will press that play button again soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Mixed Take. Join us next time as we continue this journey in the far stretches of the universe. Ricky, where can people find you online and what's going on with World Outspoken? Yeah, follow World Outspoken at World Outspoken on all the socials. Uh, you can follow our work. You can, if you're interested in conversations about how this kind of stuff, these kinds of thematic or cultural identity questions play out, especially within a church setting, uh, feel free to reach out to us via the World Outspoken kind of contact us page. And we'd love to connect with you and hear more about questions you're facing and challenges that you have. You can follow me on Twitter if you want to have more conversations about you know, movies and basketball. Those are basically the things I know I'm supposed to be posting about theology stuff. It's mostly just takes about movies and basketball at Emmanuel WOS for, for World Outspoken. So at Emmanuel WOS on Twitter and we can chop it up, chop it up there. Okay. Random question. How do you like the, the in tournament stuff going on in the NBA? Those courts are insane. <laughs> They're wild. Completely unhinged, but I'm here for them. <laughs> I'm here for them. I, I'm enjoying the in-season tournament. I'm here for the crazy courts. I don't know what expressions like, you know, they're scoring in the paint even means anymore when the whole court is painted, but but I'm here for it. That's a, I know I saw the bright red court for the Bulls and I was like, wow, that it, is. No, I do. It looks like they're playing in hell. It's Dante's <laughs> Inferno. No, no. I'm, I'm happy. I'm that that court distracts us from the product that that team is putting out there. So I'm whatever distracts me from that team. Uh, You're talking about the bulls. Stop. They uh, they got... Blow they, it they, up. Blow it terrible. up. Ugh. I mean, against the bucks, you know, the other night, I mean, uh, no, anyway, they're terrible. No, 
They're terrible. That's terrible. Come on. Oh, no. We're going to have to start the mixed take uh, sports, sports show. podcast. Yeah, pretty soon. Oh, no. Well, Because I can enjoy- tell our takes are mixed already. <laughs> they are. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. Also, head over to worldoutspoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for cultural change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts, such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, La Ventanita, The Mestizo Podcast, a show for the mixed people of the mixed church. Also, head over to worldoutspoken.com and order some cool merch. There's all kinds of goodies. There's hoodies and stickers and journals and you name it, we got it. All right. Also, follow us on Instagram at Mixed Take. We're also on Facebook still, I think. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rob Riv and Donnie at Donnie Jack. That's D-O-N-I-J-A-C. Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days. Right. Um, we always want to shout out to our producer, Rich Hurtado. And also special thanks to the incarnate and mysterious Ricky Padilla. Hey, we always reference. Here. Yeah, we, we reference you. Out. Yeah. It's it's nice to finally uh, put a voice, you know. No, everyone knows you. Okay. And uh, we just want to also say what's up to the whole world outspoken family. We hope you join us again as we continue to dive into these nerdy parts of culture influencing entertainment. And until next time, cut. It's a wrap. <laughs>